Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Ever heard the phrase, Master of Disguise? It's even a movie. Well, that character could take a page out of the book of Margaret Rudin, a.k.a. The Black Widow. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. How did the lovebirds meet? Take a listen to our old friend Bill Curtis, American Justice. Margaret Craffey met Ron Rudin at church in the summer of 1987. Both were natives of Illinois and grew up in close-knit families. Both had been married four times. Margaret had two children in their 20s. The charming redhead made an immediate impression on Ron and his family. She was very refined, tailored, attractive, but thinking back, she was very quiet also. She did not say a lot, but I thought she was a very good match with Ron. Each of Margaret's husbands had been wealthier than the last, especially lucrative. Clearly, when she came out to Las Vegas, she was looking for more than just companionship. She wanted that financial security, and that's probably, in large part, why she married Rudin. They married in September 1987, and Margaret moved into the house at 5113 Alpine Way, where Ron had lived with all his previous wives. Boy, that's telling me a lot right there. So, you know, going into a marriage when you've already had, each of you, four previous spouses, that's what you call baggage. With me, an all-star panel to break it down and put it back together again. First of all, Laura Uretzian, L.A., California, high-profile defense attorney. Karen Stark, New York psychologist. You can find her at karenstark.com. 
Karen Smith joining me out of LA. Also, forensics expert and host of a brand new podcast, Shattered Souls, the medical examiner for the state of Georgia, Dr. Tim Gallagher. But first, to CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, Sierra Gillespie. Sierra, thank you for being with us. So each one of them have been married four times in the past? Yeah, Nancy, this is kind of an interesting situation for them. They were both kind of older. She was actually 49 years old when she married Ron Rudin. And again, it was their fifth marriage. Now, Sierra Gillespie, uh, I, I hate to interrupt you, but just how old are you? I am 26. Oh, okay. Well, Sierra, <laughs> for many people, 49 is not, quote, older, but that said, go ahead. Each of them have been married four times in the past? I'm, well, yes, I guess it's kind of older for your fifth marriage. I don't know. I guess, to me, being married five times. <laughs> well, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know what's so funny? Karen Stark, let's follow up on what Sierra Gillespie, CrimeOnline.com, just said. Karen Stark with me, New York psychologist. You know, when Elizabeth Taylor does it, it's just fine. She was married, what, how many? Seven times, I think. Uh, when Martha Ray did it, it was fine. But when the rest of us do it, there's a stigma attached to multiple marriages. There, there really is. Why, why is that? I mean, I hope I never get divorced and I hope I never get remarried. I love my husband, but once is enough for me. I'm fine with it. Glad I did it. But why? What is it? Compulsive? Brides? I mean, why do you just keep getting married over and over and over? What's going to be different with the next guy that, I mean, help me, Karen. Well, that's somebody, Nancy, it's a good point. <laughs> that has attachment issues without a doubt. So it's, it's a person who can't either be in a relationship, be committed to a relationship, or um, believe that they just haven't found the right person yet. And I think even more, it's a stigma, but it's also for a lot of people a joke. They think they find it humorous that someone has married so many times and keeps going. Because you think to yourself, and I think this is absolutely true, if they didn't get it right the first few times, why do they keep trying? What makes them believe that? Now, wait a minute, Karen Stark. When you work. said if they didn't get it right the first two times, why keep trying? Wait, is that because you've been married twice that Absolutely, I know of? Absolutely, Because a lot of people would have said if you didn't get it right the first time, why I keep think, trying? But I you snuck the two in there. I, I, I caught that. You, but that must have been oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I always say God bless my husband, David, because he married me. And my mother, basically, who lives with us now. He's a saint. But, you know, Laura Uretzian with me, uh, L.A., high-profile lawyer. Laura, have you ever done divorce work? No, I haven't done any divorce work. Yeah, I'm with you. I would rather try a serial killer than stick my hand in between two people divorcing. It's like a dogfight. Agreed, agreed. And as a, it's very highly emotional from what I understand. Yes, it's the last thing I want to exactly. Exactly. One of my best friends, who I've, I've mentioned before, is a, as I call her, right to her face, a dope lawyer. She represents drug lords, uh, street pushers, addicts, you know, criminal intent to distribute the works. If it's dope, she defends it. She gave up handling anybody's divorce, even for friends, 
Because at one point, she handled a divorce between rich people. And I'm telling you, they don't like sharing money. She thought she was going to get shot. She was representing the wife in that case. I'm with you, Laura. Uh, Laura Uretzian joined me out of L.A. And I've had to watch those. Yes, I mean, I've had to watch divorce cases as part of, you know, going parallel to my criminal cases. And my goodness, they could go on forever, especially if it's between people who are very affluent and the fight just never ends. They'll fight on every little thing. Yeah, and the the the, the divorce that she was so worried about, they were rich and they were arguing over the pots and the pans. Literally fighting, <laughs> running me. up, jacking up uh, lawyers' fees over pots and pans. Anyway, that's an insight into a divorce, especially with rich people. And now you've got two people entering a marriage, and each one of them have had four previous. And Sierra Gillespie, uh, Jackie here in the studio, wants me to correct a fact about it. Liz was not married to eight different men. She was married to seven different men. She married Richard Burton twice. Is that okay? Yes. So let's clear up Liz Taylor's reputation right here and right now. Now back to the, as I call her, the master of disguise, Margaret Root, and you're going to find out why. Take a listen to how this whole thing got started. Here's our friend Bill Curtis. I love Bill Curtis. Go ahead. Ron and Margaret's marriage seemed to start well, but just a year after their wedding, Ron Rudin began an affair with another woman. Margaret was enraged. In 1988, she overheard her husband talking to his mistress on the phone. Police would later find an entry in Margaret's diary about the violent argument that followed. Margaret's version of that was that she pulled a gun and that Ron grabbed it and then the gun went off. She didn't say who pulled the trigger. She didn't say if it was aimed at Ron. She didn't say if it went off when Ron tried to grab it from her. She was very vague about that. After a brief separation, the two reconciled, but marital tensions continued, especially about money. Rudin was an extremely private man, sharing few details of his business with anyone, including his wife. Margaret found her husband's penchant for secrecy maddening and was determined to keep tabs on his business. So here it goes with wealthy individuals keeping their money a secret, sitting on all their gold like a dragon does in its cave. That kind of secrecy in a relationship does not bode well. We're talking about a woman named Margaret Rudin, as I call her, Black Widow or Master of Disguise, and you're about to find out why. She marries Robert Rudin, who was very, very wealthy in L.A. You know, to Sierra Gillespie, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, do we know where Rudin got all his money? Yeah, so Ronald Rudin actually was a millionaire, and he made most of his money through real estate. So in the Las Vegas area, that's basically where he came to become this millionaire. And as we heard earlier, he lived with all of his wives, including Margaret Rudin in the Las Vegas area. And they were pretty well-to-do. I mean, they had a very nice house. He worked in real estate. So things looked well for them. Even though they had each been married four times, they met at the First Church of Religious Science in Las Vegas. Jackie, can you look that up? What is the First Church of Religious Science? 
you know, uh, to you, Karen Smith joining me out of L.A., it almost sounds like a Christian scientist. The ones that believe kind of mind over matter, they don't like doctors or medicine, they think you can heal, heal yourself, but they are, in fact, Christians. What is that? It's the first church of religious science in Las Vegas. So they marry, fortuitously, on September 11, um, many years before the actual September 11, and their marriage seems to be going along just fine until he becomes secretive about the money. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Their marriage seems to be going along just fine until he becomes secretive about the money. So Karen Stark, one, secretive about money. If you're secretive about that, um, that bodes ill. I, I remember when I first start, when I first knew David, I didn't have two pennies to rub together as a prosecutor and was working at some points three night jobs to make a car and a house payment. So there were not a lot of money secrets except all my pile of bills I had to pay. But then, to add to that, blatantly, now this is her side, talking to a mistress right there? I mean, for Pete's sake, I'm in the room. What does that mean? I can hear you talking to your girlfriend. Are you surprised she pulled a gun on him? Well, I don't know. That sounds pretty extreme, but I could understand that she would be completely upset. And I'm sure that people would wonder at that point, not that she pulled it. Why would she pull a gun instead of just saying, I've had it and I'm going to move on to my fifth marriage or another. That would have been the sixth instead marriage. Instead of deciding that she's going to take an extreme measure well, like everything that. comes to a screeching halt. Take a listen to Love or Money's Peter Thomas. On a Monday morning, Ron Rudin didn't show up for work as he had always done in the 20 years he was in business. As soon as he wasn't there to open the business a half hour before the office opened, his employees knew something was wrong. And the fact that he lived 30 feet from the office also told them that there was something wrong. Ron was not one to disappear, surely, and he was certainly not one to leave his business unattended. Ron's fifth wife, Margaret, called police to report him missing. She said he didn't come home the night before. After that night, Ron Rudin just disappeared off the face of the earth. There were no ATM transactions, no account activity. He wasn't seen anywhere. His cell phone wasn't being used. So he goes missing. Margaret is the one that calls police. But from what we know, he could have gone anywhere between all of his money, all of his business dealings, all of his affairs. Take a listen to Vegas KTNV, Channel 13, Joe Bartels. Ron always kept Margaret at an arm's length and never revealed really how much money he had. It was a secret that Margaret stopped at nothing to learn. Margaret was even uh, suspected of wiretapping Ron's phones at his office so that she could hear who he was speaking with. And ultimately, she found out that he was having an affair with someone, and she heard it on, on the wiretap that she illegally uh, created. 
Despite learning about the affair, Margaret wanted more. So with the help of Ron's money, she opened up an antique store right next door to Ron's real estate office. The stones throw away from their home, and it was a curious business venture from anyone on the outside looking in. Ron had furnished her, he told me, over $100,000 to open that antique store. She didn't know no more about antiques than I do. Margaret wanted Ron's money, and she knew from her previous four marriages that if she gets a divorce, she's not going to get very much of that money. So she stayed with him for a while, but it just got worse and worse and worse. You know, you're hearing about a wiretap that Margaret had put on her husband's phones because she thought he was cheating, and yes, she found out he was cheating all right. When your marriage is at that point to you, Karen Stark, when you're having to wiretap your husband, I mean, one time I wanted to read my husband's emails. My eyes started bleeding. They were so boring. I've never done that again, ever. Every word was another horribly intricate <laughs> business dealing. Oh, it was terrible. I've never done it again. Yes, God bless him. But when you're to a point where you've got to tap David. your spouse's phone, you might as well just go ahead and just get a divorce uh, or go to therapy, one or the other, because to me that's irretrievably broken when either you distrust them so much or they've given you cause to distrust them so much. There had to be a reason for that. She was right. You know, that leads me to another question. At the point where you think, wow, is he having an affair? If you're thinking that, something has led you to think that. Either um, an unexplained disappearance or just, just a bizarre set of behavior or something out of the... You know what always gives it away? When the husband starts working out and going on diets or getting a sports car out of the blue, I'm no shrink. That's you, Karen Stark, but... What does that mean? Well, that means he's taking a new interest in how he looks. And unless um, something drastic has happened elsewhere in his life, you have to start thinking, why is he suddenly so interested in working out or dressing well? But there are other clues and things to look for, Nancy. I mean, if all of a sudden you're with somebody who never gets you gifts, and he starts to get you gifts while he's working out, you have to trust your instincts, which is what I say to my patients. You have to pay attention. If you have an instinct that tells you that something is going on, something is probably going on unless you're terribly paranoid and you always think something is going on. Okay, Jackie's gotten the answer to the church. It's not Christian scientists. It looks like it's just non-denominational. You know, to you, Karen Smith, Joining me, L.A. California forensics expert, host of Shattered Souls podcast, Karen, how difficult, well, if anybody's ever been to a radio shack or a spy store or even look on Amazon, how hard is it to tap somebody's phone or, you know, record their conversations? It's not. It's not at all. I mean, we're talking, you know, 20 years ago at least at this point. So, you know, you can go and buy, go to a spy shop and buy a rudimentary phone tap. You just, I think the hardest part would be getting access to that phone to do it rather than actually putting the device on the phone to record. 
Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we're talking about Margaret Rudin, also known as the Master of Disguise or the Black Widow, to Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner, state of Florida. So often people go missing. We later find out they're dead and their bodies are never found. Sometimes they're found 20, 30 years later. It's not that hard to dispose of a body if you put your mind to it, Dr. Gallagher. What's the the most bizarre hidden body case you've ever worked with? The fact this guy goes missing and they can't find him at first. How common is that also in your practice, Dr. Gallagher, as the medical examiner for Florida, that people go to the length of hiding the body? Well, we've uh, had uh, many occasions of those. You know, we found uh, bodies in 55-gallon drums of acid, you know, that were buried on people's property. Uh, We've found bodies encased in concrete uh, buried on people's property as well. You know, um, Sometimes, you know, we find bodies that uh, are missing that uh, are accidentally missing. For instance, we have a lot of canals here that people drive off the road into a canal, and uh, their bodies are underwater for years and years before they're recovered. You know, so uh, we've had a lot of uh, interesting cases. We've had people who showed up in suitcases that were in the Everglades. Um, just uh, whatever you can think of and beyond, you know, is what we have here in Florida. And when Ron does not show up for work, his employees immediately know something's horribly wrong. Laura Uretzian joining me from L.A. Um, there is a type of evidence called routine evidence. And that doesn't mean it's just like, ha 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 drum. It's not boring routine evidence. It's evidence of your routine and he, so many times, Laura Uretzian, I don't know if this has happened in your defense practice as it has in my prosecution practice, that some, many people are like clockwork. Like if I came to this studio and Jackie was not sitting right there and Brett was not sitting right there, I would call 911 because they've never, ever missed a day of work, ever. And, you know, there are certain habits, routines people go through by choice. And if they break that routine, colleagues, coworkers, family know something is wrong, Laura. And that can really start your criminal timeline right there. Right, which is exactly what happened here. I mean, it was his habit, obviously. We call it the habit uh, type evidence uh, to be at his uh, office in the mornings. And, and hence the reason his employees were the first to notice um, that something was not uh, right, uh, that something had happened, and reported it, from what I understand, to the authorities. And it's only after that uh, that his wife, Margaret, reports him missing. Um, it, it, That's a very important distinction, because earlier I said she called and reported missing, but you're absolutely right, yet again, Laura Uretzian, that the, co- the co-workers first noticed he was out of place. Guys, uh, talk about a premonition. Take a listen to our friend Joe Bartels at KTNV. He was literally sleeping with another woman, and she found out about it. Then just weeks before Christmas, Ron placed a phone call with his good friend John. He says, I found a piece of paper in the house. Margaret's diagramming out how she's going to split up all my money, the estate, with her relatives and friends. And he says, I'm really getting nervous. I told him, you better watch your back. 
That warning came as Ron changed his will, a move that many saw as a finger point right at his wife if something happened to him. It got to the point that he started worrying that his life could be in danger, that maybe Margaret might elevate this to the next step. So he changed his will. He put a little writer in his will that said, if I die by violent means, car crash, accident, shooting, investigate the person who stands to inherit my money. Wow. So he comes home and he finds a piece of paper where Margaret Rudin is detailing how she's going to split up his estate after his death with her friends and family. I would have left right then. I wouldn't have even bothered to pack. Just go. Goodbye. Leave. But he didn't. And then he doesn't report to work one day. You know, uh, Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner, state of Florida, how many times have you investigated a case? Of course, you're performing the autopsy, but... Medical examiners look at extrinsic evidence as well as just the body. Margaret Rudin basically makes a flowchart, a diagram of how she's going to split up her husband's money after his death. And he finds it. How often have you seen that, Dr. Gallagher? Oh, I'm, I'm currently working on a case now where there's just notebook after notebook of nefarious uh, notes that someone had taken uh, against another person. You know, so uh, these uh, tend to be uh, pretty common, especially in the probably 40 to 60 year old uh, age range. And I'm not going to say if that's a young person or otherwise, but uh, uh, we tend to we tend to look at that. And when we come across cases in that age range, that's one of the things that we try to keep an eye, eye out for on the scene. You know, I had, of course, it was rich people again. And the husband wiretyped the wife, found out she had a boyfriend, and I don't really blame her because he's horrible, uh, the, the husband. But then he took all of his suits to the dry cleaners before he burned the house down with her in it. He took all of his, his family photos of his family and stored them at his home. He even called the weather, ch- the weather station to find out if it was going to rain the day of the fire, he said. So, I mean, leaving a trail a mile wide. And we just saw to Lori Oretzian in the Jennifer Dulos, the Connecticut mother of five who goes missing, her body has not been found, where her husband, Fotis Dulos, and his girlfriend had written an alibi script, basically, about, make, it was all, a lot of it made up, where they were at the time Jennifer goes missing. And you're out in California, Laura. I hope you didn't work on the Robert Blake case because there was a to-do list in that. Go get lie. Go get a tarp. Get my guns. Of course, they came up with excuses about this to-do list. But have you ever seen that where they actually, the perps actually leave written evidence of their crime? Like here, dividing up his money before he's even been murdered. I mean, who says uh, a criminal mind is always the brightest? People do all sorts of things. Sometimes they're planning. Sometimes they're not planning it in the beginning and they leave notes of the hatred. I mean, we've seen it all. And does that surprise me? Not at all. Again, people, again, who says that the criminal mind is really the brightest? Uh, People get caught because they do stupid things, uh, because they make mistakes, and they leave a trail behind. Um, And and, and you've got situations like this that we have in this case. But the interesting part in this case is, though, um, not just the note. As far as Margaret's concerned, uh, one of the things that really stands out for me is you know, this is someone who, when things go wrong in a marriage, she gets a divorce. So I could see a defense lawyer arguing that, you know, what she would have, what she would have done is what she's done before, previously, like what we argued, her habits, 
and hers was to divorce these husbands. And one argument I could have raised as a defense attorney is the natural, the habitual thing, the routine thing that this woman would have done was to divorce this husband. And even this wiretap thing, that to me shows more, not someone who's planning to kill her husband, but someone who's trying to find, find out what's his financial status? How much money does he have? Where, is, where are his assets? Where is he hiding these assets for divorce purposes? And who is he sleeping with? And that too. Yeah, and who's the girlfriend? I'd like to know that years. first and foremost. So to you, Sierra Gillespie, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, goes without saying, Robert Rudin is dead. How do they find his body? Where was he? So, Nancy, he went missing on December 18, 1994. And earlier you had talked about how it could be like 20 years, 30 years until they find a body. But in this case, it really wasn't that long. They didn't find it until about a month later in January of 1995. He was found near Lake Mojave. So his remains were found, I guess I should say. He had been shot multiple times. He'd also been decapitated, but he was burned. So they literally found charred remains of his. Whoa, okay. I almost wish I hadn't asked you. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we're talking about a black widow, Margaret Rudin, also known as the Master of Disguise. Take a listen to our friend Peter Thomas on For Love or Money. A week later, police found Ron's car in the parking lot of a gentleman's club just off the Vegas Strip. The man who found the car, the night manager at the strip club, was a former disgraced police officer in Las Vegas who once had mob ties. This immediately raised a lot of eyebrows and made people wonder, is there an organized crime connection to this disappearance? Inside the car were traces of blood too badly degraded for DNA testing. Forensic experts also found mud. Well, the detectives had developed a theory that Ron Rudin's body had been transported in the car or in a trunk in the car. But a forensic analysis could not determine where the mud came from. Well, also, Rudin's skull was found. A hiker finds a human skull in a ravine 20 yards away from the charred remains. Additional bones found and a gold bracelet found with the name Ron engraved on it. Still, no ID on the skull until dental records confirm the skull is Ron Rudin. He had been shot in the head four times with a 22 caliber pistol. So to you, Dr. Tim Gallagher, how do you figure that out? What, with an x-ray, or do you have to open the skull? Uh, well, if the skull is found after that amount of time, I don't think that there'd be any um, flesh left on it. But if there is, you know, we do have very good x-ray equipment, and then we can determine by the size of the wound and by the uh, features of the wound if they are entrance wounds, exit wounds, and approximately what caliber they are, a twenty-two caliber um, a projectile, a very small projectile, it makes a very small hole, and it doesn't really damage the bone a lot. So uh, if the skull was shot by a higher caliber um, a firearm, it would be shattered. Um, if it was shot by a small one, uh, the holes would be very, very preserved and very well uh, able to be analyzed. So the body has been found, but how the hay did it get there? It screams mob murder. 
take a listen to what police find when they go to the Rudin home. Listen to Peter Thomas. Although police found nothing suspicious when they searched Rudin's home, a local handyman told police he saw plenty that was suspicious when he worked there just days after Ron disappeared. He worked for Margaret and helped her decorate and he uh, helped her clean up. She told him, get rid of this mattress, get rid of the bed, and tear out the carpet. He found this dry, gooey, crunchy material in the carpeting that he was sure was blood. The handyman helped Margaret convert the master bedroom into an office. Although the room had been redecorated, investigators decided to test the walls and ceiling for blood that may have been removed. Used the luminol, it looked like the Milky Way. Lit up like a Christmas tree. They were certain this was the death scene. What is luminol, Karen Smith, and how does it work? And how did they find blood that lit up the scene like the Milky Way? Lit up like a Christmas tree. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen it, and I've heard that. Luminol is a chemiluminescent reagent, and what it does is it reacts with the iron in blood, and it turns a bright blue color. It gives off light. And when you say it lit up like a Christmas tree or looked like the Milky Way, that is the primary scene of a murder. There's no way around it. Blood will break up into droplets that's commensurate in size with the amount of force applied to them. So when you have blood spatter all over a wall like that in small, teeny little pinpoint droplets, that's indicative of a gunshot. You have a mattress that's been disposed of. You have carpet that's been disposed of. That's the murder scene, Nancy. Simple as that. As I always say, I do not believe in conspiracies very often because people can't keep their traps shut. Here we go. Margaret Rudin trusts the handyman to clean up the crime scene and not talk. But then, while investigators, through the use of luminol, do find blood, the one thing they can't find is Margaret Rudin. Take a listen to our buddy Bill Curtis at American Justice. Margaret Rudin was on the lam. Charged with murdering her husband, Ron Rudin, the 53-year-old Las Vegas grandmother had skipped town, just ahead of the police. For three decades, she had been supported by a string of husbands. Now, for the first time, she would have to rely on her own wits and her own money to survive. Going on the lamp was one of the best things that ever happened to her. She felt finally empowered. She was on her own. She didn't have to rely on a man. She felt good. And she would prove to be adept at avoiding capture. It didn't really surprise me that she ran off. What surprised me later was that she was so good at it. Margaret went to some elaborate means to obtain false identity. And she had uh, social security cards, passports, driver's licenses, all kinds of fake ID with her. Wow. You know, the ability to go on the run and outsmart the cops for that long. Fake IDs. You notice at the beginning, the family loved her, thought she was a stunning redhead. When I knew her, she was blonde. Uh, and that changed many, many times. But then, again, it all comes to a screeching halt. Here's Bill Curtis. A woman in Phoenix, Arizona, contacted authorities there. She had seen a segment of the television show America's Most Wanted that featured a sought-after murderess nicknamed the Black Widow of Vegas. She told Phoenix police that an acquaintance of hers named Ann Boatwright looked like the woman in the segment. The police went to question Ann Boatwright. 
She was interviewed by the same officer twice, and both times she was able to convince him that she was not this Margaret Rudin. He talked to her, and he just couldn't believe that this soft-spoken, sweet, grandmotherly person could be a cold-blooded killer. They felt that there was something wrong, but they just couldn't get the positive identification on her, and they had to let her go. Only later in Ann Boatwright's room at the YMCA did police find a keychain with a Ron Rudin Realty logo. So let me understand this. To you, Sierra Gillespie, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, a woman in Phoenix, Arizona, calls police saying her friend, Anne Boatwright, looks just like a woman just featured on American's Most Wanted. So cops go there not once, but twice, many times, and on two occasions, they speak to Anne Boatwright, and she convinces them she's not Margaret Rudin, and they leave. Yeah, Nancy, that's exactly what happened. It kind of sounds like a movie script or something, right? I mean, this woman is very, um, I guess it's almost like she's a spy. She changed her hair. She was later known as dyeing it or wearing wigs. But yes, a woman saw her on America's Most Wanted in Arizona. She spoke to the police and actually convinced them, coerced them possibly, and said, that's not me. And they did have to let her go. It's amazing to me. Now, listen to this. Bill Curtis. In October 1999, authorities learned that Margaret had sent several packages from a P.O. box in Revere, Massachusetts, to a friend in Utah. The contents included Christmas presents for Rudin's three grandchildren. Police in Revere staked out the apartment where the P.O. box holder lived and used some creative tactics to get inside to look for Margaret. The whole capture was the stuff of movies. A uh, Domino's pizza had been delivered to the apartment where she was living. The Domino's guy pulled away. The cops came and said, hey, can we borrow a pizza box in your outfit? They did knock on the door. The door is opened by the man who uh, was living there with Margaret at the time. And the cops come racing in with guns drawn and mag light flashlights and the whole works. And Margaret is found cowering in a bathroom by the toilet. Questioned as to whether she knew why she was being taken into custody, Rudin replied, it's about that Vegas thing. Wow. Okay. You're wondering why police had to go to such extremes dressing up like pizza delivery in order to get Margaret Rudin? Well, take a listen to Dave Mack with CrimeOnline.com. Three weeks before her indictment, Margaret Rudin disappeared, ultimately landing in Revere, Massachusetts by way of Mexico. For more than six months, she had been roommates with a retired firefighter in an apartment in a triple-decker house. That man was Joseph Lundergan. Margaret Rudin was working to support herself by looking for work as an apprentice in a cobbler shop. The two reportedly met while living in the same Guadalajara apartment complex and socializing in the same circle of American retirees. Lundergan said that Rudin told him she was on the run from a shadowy terrorist named Yehuda. Yehuda, she said, was a former Israeli secret agent working for trustees of her murdered husband's estate. She told him they wanted her dead to gain control of her late husband's millions. Okay, so you see her weaving a little truth into her fantastical life. She mentions a murdered husband. Well, you got that part right. Margaret Rudin convicted after years on the lam. To this day, she insists she's innocent. Margaret Rudin, killer wife. 
Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash nancy. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.